we just thank you for this time that we have, the time that you've given us, the times that you've had just been so who, who you are. You are, it's not so much, Lord, that you are faithful. You are faithfulness. It's not so much that you are true, faithful and true. It's your truth. And Lord, we just thank you, Father, for th this that we have this morning. Ask you just, just to bless the word uh, to our hearts this morning and uh, just give us the counsel of your thoughts. And of course, when you do that, when we're intreatable, any of us, when we come, not with our own thoughts, apart from the scriptures, but we come intreatable, everything that you tell us will always be a means of protection, a means of conviction, which is your act of love, to keep out any condemnation in us. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. This morning, I want to, uh, I want to base, I want to base this uh, teaching, this counsel, this morning, because a lot of times what I get, I don't necessarily answer any questions or comments either on the posts or any any other way other than many times people from different locations in this country different states and even different people in different uh countries ask me questions they, they'll either text me or they'll email me certain uh, questions that they have and one of them that keeps coming up where god wants to bring in absolute clarity for us so that we have his mind, so that we are lovingly convinced and we're not condemned, is a question that has, and, and it shouldn't in any way, has plagued the church, those that are his, has, has plagued it. And so they ask me these questions. So this is based upon these questions that born-again believers, um, some of them, a lot of them, I've had the privilege to be able to share the word with them, and others that are new, uh, they they will talk to others, and then they'll text me or they'll email email me with the, with these questions. And this is what God has for us. And so I, I I believe too, if He has it for them, and it's brought up, He has it for us. And what I want to bring out this morning, I believe that He has based upon these questions, is. What is the difference between these two things? Because there's a lot of confusion about it. The confusion is, is tithing or generous giving. They ask me uh, these questions. Now, there are, there are a hundred. I could tell you, I don't have time to get into it. I, I think something like this, we need to have a booklet on so that we can have understanding, so that we as believers are not condemned, <laughs> that we're just lovingly convinced. There are hundreds of scriptures in both the Old Covenant, which is the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, which is the New Testament, that go into these principles. A lot of confusion about it. There's just so much confusion about it. And again, I get these uh, texts, and I get questions, and people, there's a lot of confusion about these things for, for believers. Now, of course, without getting into all these scriptures at this point, and this is why I think we need a booklet. Tithing began again in Genesis, the 14th chapter. And then you can follow it all the way through, all the way through, even into kingdom teaching in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can follow that all the way through. Now, generally, the way that I've taught it, originally I was taught, that we as believers, we must tithe. That's what I was taught. You must tithe. Now, in Hebrew, the, the word tithe means a tenth. That's what it means. So what they were required to do, if you follow the scriptures through, and we don't have the time to get into all hundred of them this morning. We just don't have that time. They were required on their first fruits, no matter what they were, so that you could you could do it in like a week or a month or a year, they were to give 10% right off the top. That was a legal covenant. That, in other words, what was the law given for? We must remember now, why did God give the law? Who did he give the law to? 
Who did he give the law to? He gave it to the Jews. What, had, what did he use that to teach them? He taught them. He, he, was, he was using the law to teach them that they couldn't do, they couldn't do what only he could do if they, they submitted to him. That's the only thing that they could do. Now, they were required to do it. That, in other words, that was the least. That was the very least of what they should do. But they were, they were under compulsion, legal covenant, that that's what they were to do. And of course, if you follow the scriptures through, if they didn't do that, then they weren't as much blessed by God. Now you could bring it over into the, into the new. So here, here we are, the church, and if you look at the fifth chapter of Romans, we have, in Romans 5.20, we've been given much more. <laughs> so at times when this is taught, and do I believe in legal tithing? Do I believe that? No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't believe that. I don't believe that we should be under, based upon the scriptures, any compulsion, demands. Because what did the Jews See, the basis of the legal covenant to the Jews was this. This is what they said to God when they were led out. When he led them out, something they couldn't do. When he led them out, he freely gave of himself. He freely gave of himself to lead them out of bondage. He freely gave them his, himself. Then when he led them out, in the world, now they're in the world system. And this is what they said to him. Because they were constantly... You see this in the wilderness. They were constantly murmuring and complaining. So Moses would get the word from God. He would give it to those Jews, and they would constantly murmur against him. But who were they murmuring against? Who were they? Well, they said in Exodus 19 and verse 8, they said in Exodus 24 and verse 3, they said to God, tell us what to do and we'll do it. That's what they said. You tell us what to do, and we'll do it. Now that is legal compunction. They were told, this is what you're to do. We have been set free. We're going to see how this works, because this affects so many of us. It, it affects our growth. It affects our intimacy with Christ. It really does. Now, we're just going to briefly go over this and just to see what what god is is giving to us in terms of counsel we're going to see this now again remember legal covenant legal this was a command by god you are to give 10 percent. that's what he said now are we under the law in terms of the, the civil or the legal absolutely not what have we done we've been set free <laughs> we've been set free from that now again you can follow it through you can look up in your concordance you can do that where there are hundreds of scriptures that go into tithing and giving here's the difference between legal covenant you have to do this you have to do it or else we've been set free from that now what are we to become when we become generous Givers. That's what we're to become. Everything about it. Every single thing about it. Now here is Matthew. I'm just going to share from Matthew. Now before I do, follow it through. You can follow through Genesis, the 14th chapter, all the way up through the Old Covenant. Because even here, even here, by the time you even get to Ezekiel, the 44th chapter, look what it says here. And, we'll, and I'll read it with you. This is Ezekiel 44, verse 30. This is what it says. The first of all the, of the first fruits. Notice that, the first. The first there means the very best. The very best, the top of the best is the first fruits. The first of the first fruits. Okay? Of every kind and every giving, every contribution of every kind, kind from all your contributions will be for the priests. Who were the priests? They ministered to the people. That's what they did. They ministered to the people. This is what it says. 
And all your contributions will be for the priest. You will give to the priest the first of your dough to cause a blessing to rest on your house. They were compelled by God to do that. Why? Because they were constantly in the flesh. They were constantly arguing and murmuring. They used Moses as their sounding board, but their murmuring and their complaining, their suspicion, their irritation was towards God. And that's all we have to, any of us, that's all we operate in. When we don't submit or when we don't have right teaching or when we do have it, we resist it. Look at what it says. The priest will not eat any bird or beast that has died a natural death or has been torn to pieces. But again, 4430, the first of all the first fruits of every kind and every contribution of every kind from all your contributions will be for the priests. You will also give the priest the first of your dough. Why? Because God wants to bless you. Do we think in any way here are these people. They were under legal covenant. Are, are we under legal covenant? Christ has fulfilled the law. That's why I don't believe in comp, you know, compulsive. We have to do this. Why? Because we've been set free. What have we been set free from? The flesh. What is the flesh? Self-living, self selfish living. That's what it is for, for every single one of us. That's the principle. So we can see how this works. The head of every man in 1 Corinthians 11.3 is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. Do you see that? You see, the woman does not counsel the man and what he should do. It's the opposite. <laughs> you see, let's get that one straight. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. You see how this flows. Now here, this is explained in a way that many of us don't understand. This is Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go into some of the original Koine Greek New Testament, which brings out the clarity of the Word of God in a way that normally many Christians are not taught. Now, this is Matthew 6 and verse 19. It says this, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, okay, the earth, where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But, separated from that, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Notice that, for where your treasure is, where your treasure is, is there will your heart be also. Everything about. Now, when it says heart here, when it says heart, we have to hearken back to the full preponderance of the scriptures. Because remember, when, when God saw all flesh was being corrupted, he said in Genesis 6 and verse 5, in Genesis 8 and verse 21, the whole thought, the whole purpose, the whole plan of those that are in the flesh is all about themselves, doesn't have a thing to do with God. That's what it says in the, in the original. But where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, we have the treasure. Who is, our, who is true treasure to us? In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it's Christ in us. We have him. He's true treasure. We're going to see how this works this morning. Now, verse 22 says this, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled up with darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? This is what is being brought out. This is there when we don't have proper teaching. We privately interpret the word of God. Now in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, Satan comes as an angel of light. But really his whole kingdom is one of what? Darkness. What does darkness do? What is this darkness? And we know this based upon John chapter 3, verses 16 to 22. We see that darkness does not like light. Doesn't want anything to do with light. Then we become self-interpreters in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19. When the will has not been submitted. Here's what it says. And that's 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. 
the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great, how deceptive, how subtle is that darkness? Now here's what it says in verse 24. No man, no man can serve two masters. Who are the only two masters that we can serve? Unsaved or born again? There's only two masters. That's what the Bible is saying here. There's only two masters. Just two and only two. Because no man is master of himself. Now, we've been mastered positionally by Christ. Now, that's why we always, uh, God has us and always counsels us. That that's why the enemy goes after our experience. No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one. Notice that. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve, you cannot serve God and mammon. Here's what mammon is. It's, it's mammonas, and it means confidence in wealth, storing it up. That which is to be trusted, that's what's personified here. You can't serve both. Then it goes into verse 25 to 34. Look at what happens. Look at what happens for any of us when money's the issue before God. Watch what happens. Now you enter into all the details of life and you get anxiety. Not only presently, but you look back. There's anxiety there when it's not Christ. Presently, you have anxiety. Not only presently, you have it in the future. Future anxiety. Because you can't serve both. Okay? Now this is what it says here. Evil, right? No man can serve both. You either love one or hate the other. Now, the other, if your eye be filled with darkness, what does that mean? Darkness has to do with what? Evil. Now, for us to understand this properly here, and again, just to, be, just to bring this out, some think that when you teach, we don't, uh, yeah, we're not under legal covenant, we don't have to give 10%. Some think, oh, okay, well, then I can just give any way I want. <laughs> wow. It's not what it says scripturally at all. Now here is Romans the 8th chapter. Let me show you the e where evil, is there any evil in our position in Christ? Is there? Not an ounce. There's not one ounce of evil in our position in Christ. Then where can evil affect us? This is Romans chapter 8. This is verse 4. Okay? That the righteousness of the law the whole law, way beyond the legal covenant, in Exodus 23 to 17, might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, to mind the things of the spirit is life and peace. My mind is on Christ. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. You know what this word en enmity means? It is strong, settled thoughts and feelings of hatred toward God. So when I don't serve God, or when I don't have understanding, then what do I do? Who do I serve? Ignorantly or in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23, the word is taught. It's taught verbatim, with a multitude of scriptures in the original languages, and I still rebel and become stubborn against it. I don't believe that. Okay, that's, that's, that's the way it is. That's the way that it is. But here, you can't serve both. We cannot experientially serve ourselves and serve Christ. We can't do it. Now, this is what's brought out, and I want to bring this out. And this is going to be, and some think, <laughs> this is where some think like this, is, like this is supposed to be different than a local assembly where we get teaching. And then apart from that, we have these specific classes where nowhere in the Bible is that ever brought out. <laughs> There's a local assembly that where we're taught the things of Christ, period. 
man added all the institutes and all these other things. Now, this is what it's saying when it says, lay not up for yourselves treasures. What he's saying is this is in the present imperative. This God is not asking us that. He's commanding us that. He commands us. Do not have this habit, it's present imperative, of storing up things for yourself. No. Treasures. Treasure not for yourself. Treasures. That's what it says in the original. Don't have it. There's a play on it. Why? We're thieves. Who's the thief in John 10, 10a? Who's the thief? What does he come to do in believers' lives? Even if they have the truth of the Scriptures, do you think it stops him from trying to come and steal us away experientially from positional truth? The thief comes to what? Steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what he does. Because back here, in Isagogics, its historical frame of reference, what these would do is they would dig through the top of roofs that were made of mud. You know what they were called? They're called mud diggers. That's original Koine Greek. That's what they were called. They would dig through someone's house and steal their things away when they weren't there. You know, when Christ isn't there experientially in obedience, the enemy constantly steals. He constantly steals away. Constantly. So the Greeks called a burglar, one who would steal, a mud digger. That's what he called him. Where rust, brosis in the Greek, eats away. Eats away. What, what does this mean in the context of mammon? What does this mean? It eats away and gnaws or corrodes people. Watch what this means. For us, for us, the New Testament, we're New Testament, New Covenant believers. This is what it says here. And this is why God wants to protect us. This is why he wants to protect us. And there's much more that we can we can go in. And God wants to give us much more so that we, we're not, the enemy can't use anything to condemn us. Now, this is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. And he's quoting Job 1, verse 21. For we brought nothing into this world. We didn't bring a thing. You know what that's teaching? That even the life that we had as of God was a gift given by him. Why? Because in 1 Timothy 6, 6, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Do we think money and storing up treasures can give us great gain. Well, we brought nothing into this world. You know what? It's certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Here's verse 10. For the love of money, the inordinate affection attached to it, it's our constant thinking. It's my constant plan. It's my constant planning. The love of money, the inordinate affection that the, the enemy uses to attach money to our will is the root of all evils, what it says. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. What's the faith? All the teachings. And have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, the thief comes through. He breaks through. If he doesn't break through, he causes, he causes that to rust or to corrode. Now, verse 22, if your eye be single. Now, this is where we get into this, and we shared this recently. It is the Greek word haplos, H-A-P-L-O-U-S. That's what it is. That's the Greek word, haplos. Listen, it's used of a marriage contract. That means this. We are married to Christ. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We're not our own. In other words, every single thing we have is from him. Every single thing that we have. Some say, well, I worked hard for it. Yeah, how'd you do that? Who gave you the body to do it? Who gave you the mind to do it? Who gave you the strength to do it? Whether you know it or not, in Matthew 5, 44 and 45, he makes his son and his reign to fall on the just and unjust. 
logistical grace. Logistical grace. You see, that's the thing the enemy wants believers to focus on. Logistical grace. What about the efficacious, saving grace? Efficacious grace. What about all the truths about the word of God? What about all of those? This is a marriage contract. It's pure and simple. That's what it says. We're to be pure and simple. And when we understand that we're married to him, we're set free from all the concept, con, concepts and confines of the flesh. We're set free. Set free. And, we, and, and as soon as we obey promptly, we're set free. We no longer are held by the enemy. No longer held in areas. Now, this word, haplos, is where we got that other Greek word that we shared. And this is what it means. It means in a moral sense, in a moral sense. And when I speak about morals and morality, there are some that have taught that in the original, not knowing the original word, they interpret it through the flesh and they make morality to be something different than spirituality. If you want to know what morals and morality is, then even without the Koine Greek New Testament, English words, look up in the 1828 dictionary, no Webster dictionary, about what morals and morality is. Because they come from God through the word. Our conduct, our conduct has to do with morals. I'm going to repeat that. Our conduct has to do with morals. Our character is who we are spiritually in Christ. And when they become one, we have that. It means this, without folds. Remember how we shared that word? They would go into the Greek market back then, and there would be, there would be stains or tears or pieces missing, and they would fold their cloth so they wouldn't show, and then they would sell them. What are, what are those things? For many of us, and many Christians, they're John 15, 22. They become a cloak or, a, or an excuse not to obey. Now, sometimes we don't obey because we don't know. Sometimes we, we know the truth but still don't. And both can, be, can affect us. It's without folds. Without folds. It's like a piece of cloth unfolded. In other words, we're to live our life like that. Now, if I have a fold in my, my attitude towards someone, and I can fold it and hide it with smiles and so forth, who did that first go to? That first went to God. The first, the first thing it went to was God. Because how I relate to God will be the only way I relate to others, especially those that are his. Especially. So we're to function without faults. Without faults whatsoever. Now this has to do, then it goes into the eye, vision, how we're to see. The organ of vision. And that eye literally becomes the seat of the thought life. It's an expression. It's an inward disposition. I have an inward disposition. Inward disposition. Then he said, if the eye is evil, now here's the word evil. If the eye is evil, evil here is where we get this Greek word, Ephesians 5 and verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are what? How many remember the difference between the two Greek words, kakos and poneros? You see, there's, there's intrinsic evil, that's who Satan is, and when we function unto him in the flesh, now that is poneros. And what is poneros evil? It's infectious evil, an active opposition to God's divine good. That's what it is. It is evil, an active opposition to God's divine good. Poneros. So here, in Matthew 6 and verse 22, if your eye be evil, if it's diseased, then what's, how's it going to affect you in receiving the word? It's called stinginess. <laughs> stop, and literally, he commands us, all of us, stop being stingy. Stop storing up things for yourself. Make Christ your focus. Make him your focus. Now, if the eyes are deceived, how we perceive things, even when we've been given truth, they may even be cause us to, to look in different directions. 
then we begin to see double and confuse our vision. Now, that's why the word I'm giving the word this morning, as God gave it to me this morning, in my own life as counsel. He doesn't want me to be confused. He wants me to know the difference in these particular things. He wants us to know that. You see, he doesn't want us to be double-minded about things. He doesn't want us to. Why? Because in James 1.8, a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways, not some. And a little leaven in, in 1 Corinthians 5.6 and in Galatians 5.9, Luke 16.1 and 2, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It affects my whole relationship with God. And if it affects my whole relationship with God, and I know the truth, but then I fold over these areas of disobedience because you know, somehow I don't want God to see him when we you know in, in Psalm 90 and verse 8, Proverbs 5 and verse 21, he sees everything. He doesn't miss a thing. Then I'm going to act that way to others. Now here it says this, stop being double-minded. Why? Because no individual, no Christian can serve two masters. Listen, many try it. Many try it. Huh? Mm. You ever notice the difference? I do a lot of the posts. This is what I know about the word of God. In Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. Did we hear that one? Every word of God is pure. Some take messages and they consider it to be a hallmark message. <laughs> Last time I checked, the whole word of God becomes that shield in Proverbs 30, verse 6, and Psalm 90, and verse 12. There's absolutely no question about it. And that shield protects me from the fiery missiles of the enemy in terms of his lies and disobedience. No man can serve it. Many try it. The only thing that wakes them, or any of us, is failure. Men try to be slaves or servants to God and mammon. That's right. Mammon. Mammon. Where do we get that word mammon? Mammon is called the. It's Syriac. And it's like that word punic. P-U-N-I-C. Punic word from Plutus. And it's this. Listen to what it says. It's the money god. Who's the money god of this world system? Who's the money god? Satan, he's the money god of this world system. The slave of mammon will obey mammon while pretending to obey God. Now, when, I, when God gives me these things to teach on, I become very hesitant about them. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure, Lord? And just as I'm sure when I ask him, and I'm not kidding about this, I ask him, I'm not even kidding about this. I ask him every morning what I should even wear. I'm not even exaggerating about it. And in the same way, it's this. The same exact way. Because God is not one way in this portion of the word, and another way this in this portion, a different way. No, he's very consistent. Very consistent. I wish I could tell you over decades, and I'm, and I'm speaking by his pure grace, decades, approaching five decades of studying and growing, preaching, teaching, hundreds of Greek scholars and Hebrew scholars. Things that I'm telling you, I would, I would much prefer to say, here, this is what this guy says. You got a problem with it? Here. But the reality is, any problem we have with Scripture, since it's God-breathed, in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, it is his very breath. He's breathing out his very nature. The problem is with God. You see, we don't even have problems with each other. Do we realize that? Do we have problems with each other? Let me ask you this. Do we believe that Christ already in opposition has solved all those problems? Do we? Oh, he has. Because what, is the, what was the problem in scriptures? What caused the fall? It's called sin. Did Jesus deal with it? Did he deal with it in every area he did? He did. Nope. Many will be slaves in obedience to mammon, but pretend to obey God. This is what one, one man who studies the Greek has studied it for, for 
50 years of his life in the Koine Greek, said the United States has had a terrible revelation of the power of the money god. I'm going to repeat that again. The United States has had a terrible revelation of the power of the money god in public life, which has to do with their private life. I live my life in a certain way privately, it's going, to affect, it's going to affect me publicly. Now, I may have folds. Usually, we don't fold things. We don't fold them in our private life. Sometimes we're free even to discuss what we want to believe about the word and what we don't want to believe. Usually, we share it with those that we say we trust. <laughs> it's very interesting. No. Not what it says. When the guide is blind, we know this in Matthew 15 and verse 14, when the guide is blind, both fall into the ditch. Both fall into the ditch. Psalm 40 verse 2 talks about the, the ditch, and guess what it is? It is a pit of noise. What is a pit of noise? It's confusion. What is a pit of noise? It's confusion. 1 Corinthians 14 and 33. Is God the author of confusion? Is he? You know, a lot of times we could get confused as believers, even though when we're taught specifically. You know why? Because when I don't want to submit to the word, I'll mix my thoughts with God's word, and I'll privately interpret it. Then there's confusion. God does not want us to be confused. He doesn't. No. No. When the guide is blind and leads the blind, both fall into the ditch. That ditch is brought out in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. The man who cannot tell the difference between the road, which is purity, a pure path of obedience in every area, and Proverbs 4 and verse 18, doesn't know the difference from the road or the ditch. Don't know the difference. Don't know the difference. He will hold to one. He will hold to one and not want to face the other. Will not face him. No, in this area, you know, I love all this about the word of God, even Hallmark portions. But this area, uh, no, I just don't want to face it. No. Mm -mm. Uh, you know, I don't think I believe that. Well, publicly or come to me privately. Tell me where you, what, where you get... Tell me where you get what you believe from where you get it, and then I can show you where I get it. And where it counsels me, by the way. And that's what I mean by getting it, by the way. Then it says this. Stop being anxious for even one single thing. What does disobedience cause us to be? Very anxious. The Word of God is taught in this area but when it's taught in this area, and I don't want to face it, I become suspicious. I, I told a man a long time ago, seriously, I, did, I told a man a long time ago, and this is what this man thought. This is what he thought. Many, many, many years ago. Well, 12, maybe 13 years ago. This is what this man thought, because he was, he was ignorant. He was mixing his thoughts, and interpreting me in his personal life. This is what he, he thought. And this is what, when I was sharing this, these particular verses, God did a great work in that man and in me, and our relationship has, has been incredible since then. This is 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 14. It says this, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you. I had come to this particular place three times. This was the third time that I came. And he said, I will not be burdensome, burdensome to you, and I will seek not yours. Some think that certain messages are preached because someone wants something from someone. <sighs> I can tell you there's times where I have to function in obedience because the last thing I want to do is preach and teach. But that's not left up to me. According to 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16, woe be unto me if I don't preach the gospel. 
Furthermore, in Acts 20, 27, the whole counsel of God. We're going to see how that works this morning. That's why I said we're going to do it, like some would say, a class, when that's not in all classes, not in the original. I will not seek yours, but you. You. Why would this be taught? Because it affects people in their relationship. And then they feel like they got to fold things over in their relationship. And God wants us to be transparent. To be very transparent. I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. This is a spiritual sense. That's what, that's what a spiritual father does. He preaches and teaches to those that are Christ, but that are children put in his care in Hebrews 13, 17. Laying up spiritual things. Here's verse 15. This is what happens when you preach certain things. And people pick and choose what they want based upon their thoughts and not the word of God. Verse 15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love. You know what I mean? The greatest love that a pastor teacher can have for the local assembly is to feed them the word of God, period. Because that's the only thing we're taking off this earth. We're not taking any material things off this earth. No, none of us. We read the scriptures, Job 121, 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7, right through 10. No, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love, <laughs> the less I'd be loved. Pretending. Hey, listen, if I live in disobedience in my relationship toward God, then you think that has an effect on every member? If we're all members, right? are, are all my members attached to my one body? Do I have one head over my one body? Then I live in one area of disobedience. It affects my whole body. Has that effect? It does. Now back to, as we finish this up, and I'm going to finish it up here soon, we can't serve two masters. One we serve causes us to be anxious. Causes us to be suspicious. Hmm. Suspicious. Yeah. Oh. Well, maybe that so-and-so is preaching this because he wants something from me. No, let me share the scriptures and see what God wants. Let's see what he wants for us in terms of his love and his protection. No, stop being anxious for even one single thing. No. No. You know, some teach it, it says, take no thought for your life. No. You know what thought means here? Stop being anxious or worrying. What causes the majority of the world to be anxious and to worry? What, what do you think causes that? Well, God said, God said in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve God and the mammon God, Satan. You can't serve both. You cannot serve both. No, not at all. What is the cause of anxiety? And what does anxiety do? It distracts and divides us from Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Again, if I can only bring it out. The weight. The weight. The responsibility. The accountability. How am I as a husband, a man? Going to support others. How am I going to do that? It becomes a weight. It becomes a weight. But what are we told? We're to lay aside what? How can we do that? We do it through obedience, through the word of God that makes things very clear. Again, I want to make it very clear for all of us, for me and for every man and every husband, the head of every man is Christ. I'm going to make that clear. Okay? And the head of the woman is the man. Do we understand that? Is the word that God gives the husband to be different than the word that the husband is to give to the woman? Because that's how it functions in relationships. Is it any different? 
Okay, I'll tell you who it starts with then. Who does it start with? In a relationship with an initiator. Who's the initiator? Now, when Christ is not the initiator, then the roles get reversed. The roles get reversed. I want to listen to the wife. The roles get reversed, really, because there's something in the man that doesn't want that area of obedience anyway. And it could be ignorance or it could be stubbornness. It could be with any of us. But God does not want us to live. This is what it says here. In our plans, in our yearly plans, and all these plans, we think we're going to do all this. Okay? Well, what does it say in 633? Seek you what? First what? What is the kingdom? Is it millennial for us? Or is it God's rule in us through Christ right now? We already have it. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Then all these other things will be added unto you. What were all the other things? The details of life. How do we function in details of life? How do we function? What do we use to function in them? It's so interesting. A lot of confusion. People asking me. Very confused about it. Listen. The least they were supposed to do under the legal covenant was 10%. Now we've been set free. Where do you see the scriptures? Where do we see? When God gave his son, did he hold back a single thing for, for you and I? Did he? One single thing. In one area, did he hold back anything? Nope. Didn't hold back one single thing. Didn't pick and choose. Well, I'm going to bless him here, but not here. Nope. Didn't do that. No. No, we are not to have, and this is what a lot of Christians do with their, with their planners, we're not to have a reckless neglect of the true future. The true, true future is not on this earth. The true future is what we have with Christ in heaven. That affects, is going to affect my personal fellowship and relationship with him for all eternity in Revelations 2 and verse 17, and the Bema seat too. You're going to see it in the Bema seat. What is the Bema seat? Well, the scriptures for the Bema Seed are Romans 14, 10 through 12, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Not a judgment for sins. It's an evaluation of what we did with what we got from God and how we obeyed. That's what it says. This, this is hallmark, let me tell you. This is very hallmark, if we want to call it that. It's very hallmark. We, are, we have what? What did we narrow the word down to our future? To whatever would cause me anxiety and time, and i got to make a plan to deal with it. So I won't have to be that way. Well, were you like that to start with? Has to do with trust. Has to do with trust. Romans 14, 23, He that doubts is damned if you eat. Why? He doesn't eat of faith. Absolute dependence upon God. Whatsoever is not of faith is what? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It's self. Read Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. No, we're not to have anxiety or care because that distracts and divides us. And if it divides me from God, it's going to divide me with members in the local assembly. Because what I am in a right relationship with God is how it's going to affect others. This was even in Christ's rebuke. Love it. It's a loving rebuke to Martha. Martha. In Luke chapter 10, verse 41. She was cared. All she was doing was caring for the details of life in the kitchen. That's what she was doing. You know the cares of this life? I mean, this is, why, this is why men need to be proper initiators. All of us, and I'm a man, and I'm married, so this is for me, need to be proper initiators because these things can affect women because they're in the home. They're in the home life. And they can get a little anxious about things in the future. Now, presently. And what about the future? What about all these things? Well, if I obey God now, He's not going to take care of the future? He won't? No. 
he lovingly rebuked Martha because of her excessive worry and anxiety about the details of life. Something to eat, because that's what she was doing in the kitchen. He was overwhelmed with that. We're going to have enough to eat? Read the details of life in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Clothes, food, place to live. That becomes my full occupation. That becomes the source of now my whole plan for the year. My whole plan for the year. No. We can see this. The proper care and forethought for these things in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. I'll read that. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 32. And this is God, again, having by the grace of God, the grace to be able to study these things going on five decades, the grace to be able to do them is that I can grow in the increase of how this will affect me in every one of my circumstances and situations. This is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. But I would have you without anxiety. Listen to what that says. Now this is going, this talks about relationships between husbands and wives. I would have you without anxiety. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. This is proper headship. But he that is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. You can't look at Don't, men, initiators, me, don't reverse the order. Okay, that's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the thief. And he does it. No. We are commanded with a present imperative in the negative. You're doing this? Stop it. Stop doing this. Stop. You're commanded not to worship mammon. They must stop that kind of anxiety and worry if they're already indulging in it. Do not become anxious. Because if you, you are, and it doesn't get separated from you, you grow in that anxiety. You grow in it. For your life, in verse here, we see as we flow down to verse 25 to the end, your life is suke, suke, your soul life, to be separated from your spiritual life, in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Your suke life. Here, suke, this is what suke means right here. It's the life principle, listen, that is common to both man and all other animals. Do animals have any consciousness of God at all? Do they? None. What do they live for? Soul, self-conscious, and what the body demands. You see it here? What am I going to have for clothes? What am I going to have for food? Where am I going to live? That's my whole plan. <laughs> what am I thinking in terms of time? If God took care of my eternity, and he did, will he not take care of my time? And he will. So we're not to be anxious. Because it's, we, we have way more. Which is embodied in that Greek word soma, which is body. Soma. Right? Soma. They both need food and clothing. We become occupied about it. Suke. Oh boy, that word suke. The seed of thoughts and emotions that become on a par with a cardia, the whole thought life. Two of them. Either makes good sense here. So as we close this this morning, God wants to protect us in every area. Believe me. Believe me. And I'm going to believe him with you. No. When I trust him, when I trust, when he's my trust for today, then he will be my plan for the future. He first. He first. They gave a wave offering. They gave a wave offering in the original, by the way. I'm not even going to go into, which I did the other day. I'm not going to go into Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians 9, 9 to 14. First, uh, Ephesians, uh, Galatians chapter 6. One through six. Not going to go into those things. But in so many areas, we get affected by this, these things. 
I looked up a statistic. Boy, you want to talk about being con convicted. I looked up a statistic from a guy who is a born-again believer, but he's a genius in the market, the marketplace today. He understands money, finances, and he's a Christian. I looked up that guy. I wrote down what he, said, what he had and what he shared. This is what he shared. And these are statistics, proven facts. He said, today, most Christians don't either tithe or give generously. Remember now, tithe was, you, I'm commanding you. I know you don't want to do it, but I'm commanding you. You've got to give at least 10%. That's the lowest. <laughs> some don't believe that. Some are taught that. You must tithe. <laughs> so either those that are taught tithing don't, and either those that are taught to be generous givers, read 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Well, I'm going to read it anyway. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 8. I'm going to read it for our edification, by the way. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 9, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, there's so much in the Word of God that we miss. Lord. You see what it says, Lord, right there? He's Lord. What's that mean? When he's my Lord, not that I make him, when he's my Lord, he protects me from the mammon God. My Lord. That's what it says here, Lord. Jesus put on humanity. Think about this. God, his son, who is the source of everything in John 1, 3, in Colossians 1 and verse 16, put on humanity and became poor. Who was he? He was the Christ, God's Messiah, his anointed one. Incredible. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in terms of who he is in divinity and deity, yet for your sakes he became poor. Read John 1.46. So that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. Here is 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. Now I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. This has to do with God's purpose. For God's purpose to be accomplished, read Ephesians, the first chapter. In those first 13, 14 verses, God's purpose was Christ. Not grudgingly, he must have, as he has purposed in his heart. Look at, listen what it says. Not grudgingly. Jeez, oh man. Did you ever get tired of hearing the word of God in certain areas? Did you ever? In, in, in the word of God? Well, what is, di what is di the difference in God's word in this area from another area? Or is it all the same? God breathed it out. God breathed it out. No. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. A hilarious, right? Because is it not better in Acts 20 and verse 35? And you watch how that flows. God loves a cheerful giver. Now watch how it flows. And because God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance. For every good deed, every single good deed, look at Acts 20. And then I'm going to stop after I read the statistics from this Christian. I'm going to read, I'm going to start reading in Acts the 20, 20th chapter. And this is verse 24. Notice how it starts and, and do your best to notice it with me. Okay. <laughs> We're doing the best we can and it's perfect. This is Acts 20 and verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account, listen to what it says, as dear to myself. This Christian life, do, you, do we think we're living it for ourselves? 
Do we live it apart from local assembly? Oh my God. Read the book of Acts. Never. That I may finish my course. What's my course? My course is I'm on my way to my face-to-face meeting with Christ. First I appear at the, the, the uh, Bema seat. He's going to evaluate what I did with what he gave me. And then I'll have rewards or suffer the loss. Then I go into my eternity with him in Revelations 2 and verse 17 and this exchange of a love life. So that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify, I'm a witness to you this day, God's my witness, that I am innocent of the blood of all men, giving the whole counsel. For I did not shrink from declaring unto you the whole purpose of God. This message this morning has to do with the purpose of God. There's absolutely no question about it. This has to do, and this is very serious, extremely so. I mean extremely so. Very, very serious. I take it very seriously. I do the word of God. I did not shrink from declaring unto you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourself. And when I'm on guard for myself, protected from the enemy, then look, look how it flows. And for all the flock, the local assembly, among which the Holy Spirit has made you, in some sense we are this in our prayer life, overseers. We see needs to be met through prayer and through other ways. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those that, sanctify, that are sanctified. Here's the statistics that this man has given, this Christian man. Boy, he gave a ton of scriptures too, by the way. He said, today, most Christians don't either like to tithe or give generously. They don't like it. He said only 10 to 20% of the church worldwide <laughs> either, either, don't tithe, either tithe or give generously. Listen, think about that. 25, 10 to 25% of the whole church worldwide either don't like to tithe or give generously. This is what he said. Now, only 5% of the United States tithes or gives generously. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their income. Listen to this. Which is down from the 3.3%, not 10, 3.3% given during the Great Depression. I went, oh my God. I'm going to tell you why. Because we don't know the things of Christ. We don't know it. And it, and it affects us to live just for this earth and for ourselves. It's so sad. Think it during the Great Depression, Christians in the United States gave 3.3%. Now, what does it mean? The closer we get to coming to face them, the less it's happening. No. Whatever one believes, he said, whether you believe in tithing, which I don't, which is only 10%, the minimal, or generous giving is on a downward trend. When you place your faith in Christ, you will be transformed into a giver. A generous one. Why else would God bless us? From one year to the next. Why else would we grow in these financial blessings? Why would God have us to do that? He's giving us the scriptures. Why else would we do that? You know how the verse that we interpret as proper giving? Remember, this has been taught. It's not only money. It's our time, 
It's our schedules. It's putting God first in every single thing we do. He has first place by virtue of who he is. He wants every place. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, born-again believers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sac and living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be condemned to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove to yourself what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect, complete in itself. When you place your full confidence and trust in Christ, you and I will be transformed into a giver. We can see that. You'll see it in Romans 15, 1 to 8. You'll see it in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8. Paul had to say there in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8, because the Corinthians believers refused him in teaching, refused to receive him in many more. They stopped giving. And he said, I had to rob other churches to support me so I could minister to you. Not God's order, but he did it. Ephesians 4 and verse 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more. Oh boy, think about it. Let him that stole steal no more. But do it to work. And you'll see this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. He's given us this in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14 to support the weak. Who's the weak? Those that can't help themselves in some way. They can't do it. And we see it again in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 to 13. God is speaking this to us. Just, and, just, and this is just touching it. Touching it in, in a very simple way. In a very simple and beautiful way. Father, we thank you for your counsel. That you always convict us. You always convict us, Lord. You constantly convict us with your truth. So that we don't live in areas experientially in condemnation of the flesh. There's only two ways to receive your counsel this morning. Neither in the flesh with condemnation and 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 suspicion and irritation are an absolute submission to you. To function in, in instant obedience. Because obedience is instant. And you know. And you only require of us. You only require of us. What you have so given to us. So Father, thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.